Another week, another killer episode coming up. This one should be fun. The Utah Jazz are currently 26 and 26 and at the center of rumors around the league. Plus, the Utah Utes football team gets some new additions and some returning faces. Plus, the running Utes pick up a win in Corvallis against the Beavs, but lose Gabe Madsen and a game against the Ducks. Our thoughts on the current state of the Utes. And for our weekly draft segment, in, in light of um, the big DC announcements today, we're going to be doing our starting five DC characters of all time. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie, my man, take us away. All right, so like I said, the Jazz are 26 and 26. Kind of staying at 500. It was weird because last week they were 25 and 25. They've only played two games in a seven-day span, which is just like unheard of in the NBA regular season, but whatever. Um, there are only nine days until the trade deadline, and the Jazz have been rumored in a lot, a lot of trades. Um it's kind of a seller's market, like we've been saying. The Jazz have power, and you know, it's, it's they have a lot of control in the market. But a lot of people are just kind of asking, what's taking them so long? When are they going to finally pull the plug and make a trade? Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. But speaking to the only two games played in a week, I think that's just the NBA catching up with the brutal scheduling they gave the Jazz for like – you know, the first two or three months now, and now they have like what it's been like a three day break between games. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, it's awesome. And at home, like no travel in that time. Yeah, you have four games left on your five game home stretch. Like, that's awesome. Should be exciting. Okay. And for Utah football, interesting news. Makai Bernard announces that he's returning to the team after trying out the transfer portal. Off the top of my head, I can't remember the teams that offered him or he went and visited uh i know one of them was colorado richie are there any other ones that stick out to you of teams that he kind of tested out a little bit uh if i'm being honest i can't remember any of the other ones <laughs> well that i guess that's probably the reason why he's coming back then <laughs> um but the utes also get a, a really big commitment from a former indiana wide receiver emory simmons which we'll talk more about later in the show and Modi abate is impressing some scouts at the east west shrine bowl part of the nfl network and tavion thomas is being compared to some NFL greats like LaDainian Tomlinson and LeGarrette Blunt as he preps for the Reese's Senior Bowl. So uh, we'll be able to update some times and when those games will actually be uh, later on. But that's some pretty big news for those guys. And the Renan Utes are currently 15-8, and 8-4 eight, eight and four in conference. They sit prettily in fourth place, blowing, blowing expectations. Um but they did go on a pretty rough Oregon road trip. I mean, the win in Corvallis was great. It's always good to get a win in Corvallis. So that was quality win. Played really good. And then, yeah, they played Oregon at Oregon. And that was just a rough one. Gabe Matson goes down pretty quick in the game with an injury. And it just didn't seem like Utah ever could overcome that. They just weren't scoring. It was, it was a pretty rough one, Thatch. Yeah, I, th- I think when you have two 10-minute droughts, I don't know if you can win a game. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's a whole half of not scoring. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty – so it's it's crazy to me, though, that it wasn't, like, over 20 with the amount of, like, non-offense that showed up. But 
Oh, well. Well, we'll, I'm excited to talk about that, though, because I think that road trip was actually kind of brought up some interesting storylines that we can talk about later. But, dude, we actually have a lot of sports stuff to talk about uh, before we get into our specific segments. First up, the obvious. We have our Super Bowl matchup, and we are now the faces of definite hot takes from last week's episode. We picked the (laughs) underdogs in both those games. Granted, we didn't think the fifth-string quarterback, Josh Johnson, would be walking in for the Niners. Uh, but Eagles in Kansas City, that's that's who's going. We know Brian Johnson and Brent Covey from you know former Utes will be representing those guys as they also come to Arizona with the Eagles. So what are your thoughts on this matchup 10 days out? It's a pretty good matchup. I was thinking of like who this would be in NBA terms. I feel like Kansas City has kind of the Golden State reputation because Patrick Mahomes and Steph Curry – are like the perfect comp for each other. Um, and Dude, then that, the Eagles... That is a really good comparison. I mean, right? It's like they both played just stylistically. It's incredible. It's kind of like never been done before. The things that they right. do, right. it's like everything is must-watch with them. Um, and props to Kansas City. This is their third in four years. So that's that's quite an accomplishment in itself. Are they, are they the new Patriots? That's a good question. <laughs> But, maybe maybe we'll, maybe we'll do an NFL segment later. But dude, there, there's some serious questions about this Kansas City team because they are awesome. They don't look like they're declining at all. They, I'm we're probably in the midst of a dynasty right now. It's it's pretty fun. Oh, for sure. Um, the Eagles are a little different. I think the Eagles are like a really complete team in all phases. Um, Kansas City is too. Um, I like Jalen Hurts. I feel like he's had a really good year. I would if I had to compare him to somebody. I think I would go John ja Morant last year. Um, just kind of like... Ooh, I like that one too. Just like elevating his game, getting into MVP conversation. Um, and then postseason play. Like, ja, people might have forgotten this. John ja Morant is a postseason riser. He played really good last year. He played good two years ago against Utah. Um, his team has outperformed expectations every year. I feel like that's kind of where Jalen Hurts' trajectory is right now. So it's kind of, I mean, I realize that would be a Western Conference finals matchup, but it's kind of like that um, for this Super Bowl. But I think it's going to be a good one. I'm really excited about it. Um, two really good quarterbacks going at it. I think that always makes for a good story. Got two really good defenses going at it, too. It's just going to be, it's like a really even matchup when you look at it. Yeah, honestly, like top to bottom, I think this is a, a stellar matchup. Sad, like, I feel once, I, I don't know, I feel like everyone was was rooting for Joe Burrow and, and the Bengals. I mean, you just got to love Joe. Um, I think he kind of gives off that Memphis type of vibe where, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's, you got the swagger and type of stuff. But I do like that comparison with Jalen Hurts because, I mean, he's it's his, what, second or third year in the NFL. And I think he's definitely outperformed at least my expectations as well as I think most just general sports fans. Um, he had a decent college career, uh, but that's incredible. Um, I, I absolutely love the Eagles. Obviously, Britton Covey's out there. I just learned today, though, that their special teams is mainly comprised of of rookies, of first and second year guys, um, which is interesting because, I mean, like you said, they're good in all phases of the game. I, I think we should, we'll save, obviously, our pick for who wins for next week, uh, but I think that's going to be a good matchup, like you said. And then speaking again in the NFL, how about our boy Tyler Huntley making the Pro Bowl? Uh, granted that the roster, I mean, a lot of guys were injured. And so some other guys had to fill in, which is why Tyler Huntley is in, uh, the other quarterbacks in the AFC that are going with him will be Trevor Lawrence and Derek Carr. 
um, albeit that Derek Carr is going back to Allegiant Stadium after he uh, was released from the franchise. But Tyler Huntley, I mean, a lot of people are going to remember him for that infamous fumble at the goal line against the Bengals um, in that round of the playoffs. But if you look at that game alone, he had the second highest QBR out of any quarterback in the playoffs, which is pretty crazy. Cause again, once you get to the NFL, like this is the best of the best. I think that act like that stat and this accolade of him going to the pro bowl, like should set him up for some, you know, future success and staying on a roster, at least for the foreseeable future. So what do you think about Snoop Dogg making it to the pro bowl? Um, Tyler Huntley making it to the Pro Bowl is the equivalent of this last year's Utah football team making it to the Pac-12 championship. You just had to have a lot of things go right down the stretch, and it did for Tyler Huntley, and it's awesome. And I hope he makes the most of you know, the opportunity, just like the Utes did. But yeah, it's a lot of things had to go right, and it's cool. It's cool to see him. You made a really good point. He did have that really good game against Bengals. I know that fumble was bad. He had that early pick, too. But he honestly played a pretty complete game when all things considered. And the Bengals-Ravens, that was one of the most competitive best games of the postseason that we've seen. So props to Tyler Huntley. I'm excited for him. It's awesome. Yeah, really cool. And we had the all-star starters announced. We predicted those in last week's episode, but they were finally picked. Hey, we weren't actually, we weren't too far off. Uh, Obviously, you tweeted about it, but I think the surprise one was Zion Williamson out of the West. Uh, what was your overall thoughts about the starters though, being announced last week? Um, yeah, the Zion one was surprising. I was also surprised by Kyrie. It seems like Kyrie just has like this weird following that I wasn't really expecting considering all the backlash he's got in this season and last season, but yeah, all-star starter. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it because he's playing really good. Heck he torched the jazz a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, that was that was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, I think Embiid was the big snub, and that's not necessarily saying that anybody in the East should have been over him. I just think that the formatting of the All Star Game is pretty rough. When honestly, Embiid is like number two in MVP right now, especially after that game against Denver last week. Um, right, and he's not an All Star starter. So yeah. I don't know. It, it, that's that's interesting. I hope that creates a conversation, creates a dialogue for um, league executives and changing the format of the all-star game because he absolutely deserved to be a starter. Yeah, that could be interesting. I don't know if, if, if he potentially does win the NBA MVP, would that be like the first time in history that the MVP of the league did not start in the all-star game? Like I'd have to look that I, up, but I bet it would. I, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to go back a bit, but yeah, that, that's gotta be a first. So yeah, yeah that would be an interesting be conversation. Awesome. Yeah, um, but we do have the reserves being announced later this week, so excited to talk about that on the next episode. Uh, but just uh, today, uh, they named the players for the NBA Rising Stars game. No surprise, our boy Walker Kessler makes it from the Utah Jazz. What are your thoughts about the overall uh, rosters for the NBA Rising Stars game and, I guess, Walker Kessler making this team in his rookie year? I thought the rosters were pretty spot on. Um, I like that they're including some G League players. I like that Skip Henderson is going to be involved in it. I think that's going to be really fun for a lot of draft guys. He was there last year, and it's just it's fun to see that guy like on a different stage because heck, he's like one of the best guard prospects in the last ten or so years. Um, but overall, yeah, I think it'll it'll be fun. Um, I hope Walker Kessler 
gets to shoot some threes or something, do something that he hasn't done too much of before. Um, I don't know. It's just a fun opportunity to see some young guys do stuff that um, they're not usually allowed to do because of the systems that they're in. Right. I, I think the, the game is usually overlooked, but I think it's really fun. Again, both of the games are kind of an offensive type format, but I'm excited because I think a lot of these players can really showcase their talents and should be a good one. I mean, most of them are really, I think this game is like the one where just you're not surprised by the rosters when they come out, but excited to see Kessler in that one. Um, and then Richie, you're the king of NBA trade news. Take us around the league. What's the, what's the hot topic going around right now? All right. Um, well, we've gotten, we had our usual Monday morning news dump. Uh, one of the first things that I read about was Jay Crowder to the Bucks. that Jay Crowder is meeting with the Bucks, And there's actually been a package that has been proposed. Uh, I'm pretty sure if memory serves me correctly, it's George Hill, former jazz man, uh, Marjan Bochamp, Serge Ibaka, who is no longer playing with the Bucks. He's like on their team, but he just decided to stop playing. There's some weird conspiracy theory. Like, I don't know if you've seen the podcast that he did with Giannis and Giannis like roasts his cooking. What? No, I haven't, I haven't heard about any of this. <laughs> it, it's wild. Yeah. I think Giannis and him did like a podcast. I think Serge owns this podcast and Giannis like told him that he was a bad cook. And then Serge hasn't played with the team since that video, since that dropped. So Dang. there's kind of, there's kind of some, some questions like that just made him quit their team um that, that's crazy <laughs> yeah I, I mean i don't think this is like a league changing uh, uh trade jay crowder i feel like he would fit really nice with the bucks i was kind of thinking about it like what would their starting five look like with him because he's leaving the suns to go start on another team right that's like what this whole issue has been about for him is he felt like he deserved to be a starter um and so if he's a starter for milwaukee it's probably Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton at the two, Jay Crowder at the three, Giannis at the four, and then Brooke Lopez at the five. You still have a decent amount of shooting. I like Connaughton or Portis in there a little bit more than I like um, Jay Crowder in there because I just he's such a streaky shooter. But yeah, like I said, I don't think this is like league changing. I think it'd be a it'd be good just to have the Jay Crowder situation over with, which is such a weird thing to say. Like the Jay Crowder situation, it's not like he's an all star or anything. <laughs> I don't even know why there's a situation here, but yeah, I feel like that's the trade news that kind of like every so often you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. He, I haven't seen him play in a while. <laughs> I guess hopefully he yeah, finds like, a team. He's not with the team. Heck he could go play linebacker in the NFL. He's got the body. Um, oh, yeah, he does. So kind of the next, the next big one is Toronto. And what people around the league are saying is everybody's waiting for Toronto and they're waiting to see what happens on their road trip. They're currently on a road trip out in the West. Uh, they play the jazz tomorrow. Um, and it's like, a, it's like a six or seven game road trip. It's gone well so far. And people are kind of thinking, depending on how that road trip goes, if it goes poorly, then the Toronto Raptors could be looking to move a couple of their guys. Um, I think the names that have floated around are OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, and Gary Trent Jr. Um, and if it goes well, then maybe they keep their guys. Maybe they still field some offers, try to get rid of some contracts or something. Um, but, yeah, that's that's definitely going to be a situation to keep an eye on. The thing about those three guys is, like, any team would want those three guys. They can all defend. They can all shoot. Um, OG Ananobi is really good. He's a really good player. He's the exact type of player you'd want on a championship team. 
So that's something to keep an eye on. I think there will be some noise around there. But like I said, if that if their road trip goes well and all of a sudden they're in contention for a play play in spot or playoff spot, then uh, it's possible nothing happens there and the league can kind of move on and get down to business. Um, and then lastly is people are wondering what the Clippers will do. The Clippers are historically have always made a big deadline trade or just trades in general. They're honestly selling people every every chance they get to. Uh, last year they made a trade and got Robert Covington and Norman Powell for like Eric Bledsoe and some I don't I don't even know. It was it was an absolute fleece. Uh, it was a crazy trade, but. Yeah, people are going to wonder what the Clippers are going to do. Um, a lot of speculation around Mike Conley, like we talked about the last couple of weeks. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is another guy that would I think would be such a good fit on the Clippers. Um, people have talked about Kyle Lowry and some other point guards. So that's just another situation to keep an eye on. Um, it's going to be fun. Like I said, nine days left. Lots of things to keep an eye on. Lots of teams going to be trying to make moves. Um, there's so much parity in the league right now that a lot of teams are going to try to separate themselves in the standings, especially in the West. Yeah. I, I think trade talk is, especially around this time of the season, it's just so fun to talk about potentials and stuff like that. And then when the, you know, the, the trade deadline comes, you get fun moments like where Derek Rose is on the jazz for like 30 minutes and you just relish it and you enjoy it. And then you move on and you kind of get used to the new NBA, but yeah, I just think um, all of these potential scenarios they're intriguing to to talk about i'm so glad i'm not a gm because that's like way too much math and strategizing glad other guys can do it but i'm very excited to uh see what happens around the league and of course we'll dive more into that as we get into our jazz segment and of course this jazz segment is brought to you by DraftKings sportsbook jazz fans it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. So go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. Richie, what are your jazz notes for us this week? All right, let's 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 hop into it. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is kind of the three-year rebuild that Danny Ainge has suggested that jazz are in the middle of. Well, I guess at the beginning of. Um. So kind of just taking a look at the future, the Jazz have three 2023 first-round picks. Um, so they have some incentive to start losing this year. Um, next year, however, they have zero 2024 first-round picks. They owe their pick to the Thunder, I believe. And so they kind of have some incentive to start winning. And then in 2025, they own their pick, the Timberwolves pick, and the Cavs pick, all unprotected. Um, and then kind of looking at like some of our players... We have Laurie Markinen, Walker Kessler, Ochag, Baji, who the Jazz have been clear about that they're not going to be trading any of those guys or it's going to take a monster package. Um, I really like where we are. Like, I said, like I've mentioned over and over again, we have a lot of flexibility. Um, one of the things that stands out to me is when you look at the rest of the roster, nobody has 
contracts for more than um well nobody has contracts after 2024 and 2025 season so that's in two seasons besides sexton and markinen and then they have team options with kessler agbaji and leandro bolmaro um who hasn't seen much playing time um so they just have a ton of flexibility i think it's it's a really good place to be in we have discovered something really awesome in Laurie Markkinen. I know you're going to touch a little bit more on this, but I was going through some of the second options on championship teams in the last couple of years. It's looking at uh, Chris Middleton, Anthony Davis, Kyle Lowry, Andrew Wiggins. Um, some of their usage percentages in their uh, championship seasons were very similar to Laurie Markkinen's. Anthony Davis had a 29.3% usage percentage. Chris Middleton was 25%. Markkinen is currently 25.1%. Uh, Wiggins was 23%. I just think like that's the exact usage percentage you would want playing next to a ball-dominant guy, uh, playing next to a number one option like Luka or LeBron, kind of one of those players. I'm not saying we're going to have one of those players, but that's ideally the type of player you have as your number one option. Um, I've been so impressed with Markkinen's ability to score without the ball in his hands. Like He... He just, he's not dribbling a ton. He's not posting up a ton. He's just getting the ball within the flow of the offense and then making the most of it. And he's looking to score, which I think is awesome. I think that's the exact number two type of option you need on a championship team. You just need somebody that's looking to score. um, Whereas your number one option is maybe taking on some bigger responsibilities as far as setting up your teammates and stuff. Um, Looking at Walker Kessler, another guy who is clearly part of the Jazz's long-term plans. When you think about bigs in the playoffs, uh, especially with some of the Jazz's past trauma, you want somebody that can switch defensively, who can protect the rim, who can pass, and can punish smaller lineups. I think that's one of the most important things. Walker Kessler can punish smaller lineups. We saw it against Dallas the other night. Um, They would go some of their smaller lineups, and Walker Kessler just got offensive rebounds. He got post-ups. He was just able to punish it in a way that jazz fans haven't seen for the last couple of years. Um, His offensive rebounding has been really awesome. Uh, He's 13th in the NBA and he's fourth in offensive rebounding percentage, which is just insane for a rookie. I would love to see some improvement from him as far as free throw shooting and then just kind of passing. I think he's shown flashes of what his passing could be. And you don't necessarily need him to be Nikola Jokic, but you do need some passing in order to survive in a playoff setting. Uh, lastly is Ochaik Baji, who has had an up and down season, and lately it's been up. He's on a really good trajectory right now. Jazz fans are loving him. Um, seems like the organization is loving him because they're not shopping him, and I think that's really promising. He's kind of like the hypothetical guy you need in the playoffs. Um, he's able to score. He's able to defend at a very high level. He's like the exact defensive option that Jazz haven't had in the last couple of years. And if he continues on his current trajectory, he could become a much better defender. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about him and just his general trajectory in the future. We've seen that his offense has got better this year. I think he still needs to improve from passing perspective and just be able to score for more areas of the floor. But that's something that he was doing in Kansas last year. Uh, Like I've mentioned, he was a 19 points per game scorer in Kansas They won the national championship. He was doing it from all over the floor, attacking the rim, deep twos, threes, um, had a nice mid-range game. That's like 
if he's able to kind of turn into that guy on an NBA setting, then all of a sudden you have three really good pieces um, and him marketing and Kessler. I think number one thing for him is he just needs more reps. I think defensively he's been great. He's already guarding number one options. And just as he keeps on learning the NBA game, he'll only get better and better. Um, one of the other guys that we kind of haven't talked about a lot, but might be in the long-term plans is Colin Sexton. And I just don't know if he fits into the long-term plans. Um, what do you think of that thatch? What do you think of Sexton fitting into the long-term plans of the jazz? I think it really, obviously I don't know what kind of offense or what kind of culture that they're trying to build, what kind of style of basketball they want to build. Like the one thing that makes me want to keep Colin Sexton is obviously the energy and the passion he brings for basically whatever team he plays for. He's not going to have the greatest night every night. Obviously we know that, but his energy, his relentlessness is something that you don't see oftentimes, especially in today's day of the NBA, where there's a huge debate on players taking games off. And, um, you know, that whole controversy about players playing more lax, not really kind of showing it. They're all Colin Sexton will give you his all every night. And so that is, that is like one or the main reason of why I would keep Colin Sexton. If I was a GM, obviously his, I think a specific basketball skill is finishing and driving to the driving to the basket. Um, there's a lot of times when the jazz are in offensive struggles and they're not really getting a basket. Like you can trust Colin Sexton will just drive right down and we'll score a layup because he's faster than everyone else on the floor. That's refreshing at times. Other times you see mistakes where he's not really uh, performing what, at, or I guess what I should say is he's not really seeing the floor. And when he comes in as a backup point guard, when you're used to Mike Conley, who's, you know, one of the greatest point guards of this generation in terms of his ability to pass um, shoot only when he needs to, not looking for shots. Uh, I think that's what Colin Sexton really needs to do to shape his game. And, and listen, if they keep Mike Conley you know, around for this year, maybe next year, in terms of just molding and shaping the next era of Utah Jazz point guards, then hey, maybe. like If we see improvement from Sexton, like who's to say he can't be a backup point guard? Look, the Warriors had the beginning of their dynasty with, with Sean Livingston as a backup, and he played great. And I think Colin Sexton can be that type of guy for a championship team. I really, like for me personally, I just think it kind of depends on how he handles evolving his game in terms of being a point guard, a true point guard in the NBA. So those are my thoughts on Colin Sexton. What did you think about him kind of being a long-term piece? Um, I think it depends on his backcourt, mate. Uh, I really like how you mentioned his ability to get to the basket. Did you know he's shooting 41% on threes this year? I did. Like... And that's the, I think that's the one thing I do like though, is like when he does shoot threes, I feel like there's most of the time they're smart selections. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not forcing it. He's only averaging about two attempts per game. Um, but he's like mostly doing it on catch and shoot or just when he has a lot of separation between him and the defender. And that's kind of, kind of where I'm optimistic about just like his trajectory is because he has shown that he's like improved his shot selection a lot. Um, I think in an ideal world, the Jazz draft somebody who can play alongside Sexton because I really do like Sexton. I think he could fit really well into a championship team. He's the kind of guy that makes plays that championship teams need. You know, he, that makes the hustle plays that gets the extra steal. Um, I feel like the Jazz are going to need one of those guys going down the line. Um, one guy to keep an eye on, just a college guy 
for those that pay attention is Anthony Black. He plays on Arkansas. He's a 6'7 uh, point guard, defends pretty well, really good at attacking the basket, okay shooter. Um, I really like how he would fit with Sexton because you're not losing too much size in the backcourt. Um, Black can guard some of the bigger uh, guards, whereas Sexton can guard some of the smaller guys. And I just feel like it would be a really good pairing. I don't know if that's something to throw out. It's January 31st. The draft isn't for like six months, but just something to keep an eye on if the Jazz's pick lands in that range. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm excited about Sexton. I, I do think he could fit into the long-term plans, but it is going to be dependent on where the team is next year and the year after. Yeah, because like going back to your original question, like talking about, you know, a three-year rebuild, like what do the Jazz immediately need to do next? And obviously like the biggest thing and the key piece of all of these trades that happened was the assets and the picks that they got for the upcoming draft. So I think, although that's not really the next step, I think that's the crucial step in really leaping towards this next era of Jazz basketball. And obviously we'll be able to grade Danny Ainge and the organization on how they did in that draft later on. But I, I don't know, like, as you said, like as the trade deadline comes up, that's obviously going to be the next step. Like what do they need to do? Because again, they're going to try and gain assets. And the rumors that we've been hearing around the league is, well, you know, some other teams are asking too much for players or the jazz are asking too much um, for other players. And so it'll be interesting to see what the jazz finally do. Um, but I thought I had kind of a similar question to you and I got this from a favorite podcast of yours, the, the low post podcast. Um, but shout out to uh, at Dunzo uh, Dunzo D on uh, Twitter, and he 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 just dropped some quotes from the recent podcast where Tim McMahon went on, and they talked about the Jazz and you know their future plans. And and one tweet that kind of really stuck out to me, I, I I don't think it really stuck out to other things, is they talked about Tim McMahon says, "quote Marketing is going to be an all star. He deserves to be an all star. I think he's shown he can be a go to guy. He probably needs to be your second best player on a championship contender." To which Zach Lowe says, maybe third, maybe third. So I thought, okay, listen, if you want to have like a realistic expectation for the Jazz to contend for a championship, in your eyes, does Lori Markinen have to be the second or third best option? Because again, like I'm thinking about recent dynasties and you can go to like the Warriors right now. Like obviously, Steph, your number one offensive, you know, number one threat. Well, then you kind of go to like throughout the era, they've kind of switched, I feel, between like the second and third option. Obviously, you had Kevin Durant there for a time. You could have made a, a selection, obviously, for Andre Iguodala or Clay Thompson, where it kind of switched back and forth and depended on the game and the opponent. So, Richie, in your eyes, do you think Laurie Markkinen has to be a two or has to be a three, or can he be a two on a championship contender team? That's a really good question. I think it depends on who the two is or who the number one is. Um, I think if Giannis were playing next to Luca, let's let's say hypothetically things go south in Dallas and the Jazz send ten picks to Ma- the Mavericks and we get Luka Doncic, I think the Jazz could win a championship with Laurie Markkinen and Luka Doncic as your one and two. However, Luka's a top five player. Um, top five players don't always just fall into your lap, especially if you're the Jazz. And I think more realistically, the Jazz end up with like a top 10 or top 15 player. I think in that case, you would want Markkinen to be your third best player. Um, 
I think it's 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 probably a pretty hard way to look at it, but I don't know. I Mark Markinen as great as he has been, he's not able to do some of the things that you need in the playoffs. Um, he's not really able to set up his teammates. His his game is sort of one dimensional in the sense that he's just a really really good scorer and manages on defense. Um, and I kind of think you need guys that are able to do a little bit more than that in a playoff setting. Um, and I think if you have two of those guys, then all of a sudden Markkanen is looking like a really, really good third option. But just like going back into history, like Giannis and Middleton, they had their Drew Holiday. Uh, Steph and Durant, they had their Clay Thompson. Kyle Lowry and Kawhi, they had their Pascal Siakam. That Raptors team in 2019 is kind of ridiculous if you look back at it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it really just depends on who the number one guy is. Yeah, and I think maybe stylistically, I think it also depends on the position of the player because I think the number one option has to be uh, a score, which I think has to be in the backcourt. Um, I mean, Giannis is obviously and other players around the league and B, LeBron, they've shown, you know, the number one player can be obviously not in the backcourt. But I think especially with Mark and in situation, you need someone who can really set up the offense but also score at a high rate. Because again, if you want Walker Custer to be a main piece of your starting five moving forward as well, you're not going to really have any a shooting center coming out. And so maybe Kessler maybe can be that three piece on a on a contender team just because of his ability that he could gain to defend in the paint and to get baskets and rebounds. So I think that's an interesting conversation to be had. And I think it'll get more interesting as the Jazz get closer and closer to the type of team that they want to have going into this new era. But really the big conversation right now is the trade rumors between the jazz and the Mavericks. And it seems like the jazz are, are interested in one particular player, Richie. And I know again, this is your realm. So who are the jazz interested in from Dallas and what are the kind of rumors or speculations of a potential trade between the two organizations? So the rumor is Dorian Finney Smith. Um, Personally, he's not the player I covet most on the Mavericks. It would probably, if I had to rank them, it would be Luka, then Josh Green out of Arizona, and then Dorian Finney-Smith. I think he's a fine player. Um, He plays really well next to Luka. Apparently, him and Luka have a really good relationship, which is why I think Dallas would be hesitant to make that kind of move. I think they only make make that move if there's getting like an all-star caliber player in return because that's what Luka needs at this point. They needs somebody that can help carry the load and just help him in general because he doesn't have a lot of help. Um, I think stylistically, though, Dorian Finney-Smith would play really well with the Jazz. He's a really good defender. He's a good shooter. He's versatile. He can play multiple positions. He can switch. He can do all those things that you want some of your modern-day wings to be able to do. Um, From a more business perspective, he's currently 29. And he has three more years on his contract with a player option on the fourth year. He'll be making 15 million by that fourth year, which with the increased cap um, that's expected to happen kind of in the next couple of years, that might be looking like not a bad contract at all. But at the same time right now, it's not looking like the most friendly contract. If he's 33 and has probably regressed and is making $15 million, um, probably not an easy contract to trade or get rid of. I think Dallas, just from what I've heard from Tim McMahon on that podcast with the low post, 
Um, he mentioned that Dallas could just be gauging the market and be preparing for a move in this offseason. Um, I kind of think that's probably the most realistic case is they're looking around, trying to see what's out there. Um, I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith is probably like their second best player. Maybe maybe a little bit down there. Christian Wood and Spencer Dinwiddie have been good this year. Um, but he's he's a coveted asset. Like Like I said, his contract isn't that bad. And he's playing really good basketball. He's the type of player that every team needs, can shoot, can defend at a really high level. Um, and I think he would make sense for a lot of teams. I just don't know if he makes sense for the Jazz long term. Um, because, like I said, the Jazz have a lot of flexibility, especially with their contract situation. And, you know, in, in, th- two, in two seasons, all you have are Markinen and Sexton on your books with options on Agbaji and Kessler. And if you add a kind of a $13, $14 million contract in that mix, then all of a sudden you are limited on how much flexibility you have. So personally, I don't see anything happening there, but it's fun to be involved in the trade rumors. Yeah, that was a, that was a player that kind of took me off guard a little bit, and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And potentially, you know, it may work out just a little bit, but I think overall from that interview, that uh, the kind of the vibe I got from Tim McMahon was interesting. I'm kind of comparing Danny Ainge right now to Kevin Feige of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where he has this massive 10-year plan, and a lot of jazz fans are kind of like, oh, man, are we like – are we really going to get this guy? Do we need this guy? Or, you know, who are we keeping? But, I mean, looking back, like, the the really big question, um, especially with the Jazz right now, is like, okay, well, this team is obviously more competitive than the NBA fans thought they would be. Does this really affect, like, your trades right now? Does this affect your draft picks? Like, what you want to do? And he was like, no, like, the team being competitive, like, doesn't change our long-term plan. Like, we still got a plan, and we're going to stick to it. And I was like, okay, all right. Wait. Danny, I'm going to keep trusting you, man. Like, you know what you're doing, I guess. Um, for Dallas more, I think obviously like you look at the disparity between Luca and his teammates in terms of, I mean, the, the scoring disparity in a lot of these games is very, I mean, I mean, it just catches your eye right off the bat. I mean, you look at today's game where Luca scores 24 of the team's first quarter points. I think all of his other teammates had like a total of maybe like eight or something like obviously he needs some help. And so Dallas will be looking to try and keep him with the Mavericks and also, aid him in trying to get a championship back to Dallas. As for the jazz, I just think, right. Like we've said in multiple episodes, the phones are going to be ringing. Think people are going to be interested. I, I think it's really up to see like what's really in Danny's wheelhouse. What do they want to do with this team? And obviously, like I was mentioning earlier about marketing and like finding out what kind of piece he's going to be overall, we're going to find out who's going to fit in where, as we kind of figure out, okay, this is what the jazz are starting to look like. This is what Ainge wants them to look like. And this is the type of team Will Hardy wants to run. So again, as always, I just think it's an interesting conversation as we get closer to the trade deadline. But the Jazz are their phones are going to be uh, ringing off the hook. So should be interesting the longer we go on. But let's move on to a little bit of Utes conversation. Uh, football season is over uh, for college football. Uh, we understand that, but we're still getting news every week. The biggest thing this week is Makai Bernard coming back uh, out of the transfer portal, and. It's interesting because you don't really see that often. Uh, obviously, we know that the transfer portal, it gives and it takes, but also players jump in and can't really find a way out of it. And I've heard it before that Kyle Whittingham says there's some special occasions where a player's allowed to return after entering into the transfer portal. 
Uh, for example, Jalen Dixon. Uh, Jalen Dixon went to the transfer portal, didn't really find anything. And so he comes back to Utah and actually has a pretty successful last few years with the Utes. As for Makai Bernard, I think he wanted to leave, and I think we all knew that he wanted to leave because of a stacked running back room. Uh, Jaquinta Jackson literally jumped from quarterback to running back and then moved up in the roster. But Makai still played a pretty pivotal role, I would say, in the Utes' offensive success. So, Richie, what are your thoughts on Makai coming back? And do you think this adds or gives a better chance for the Utes to three-peat, or do you think this doesn't really change anything at all? Yeah, um, Makai Bernard is a great player. He has a lot of skills that I think he does better than some a lot of guys in the running back room. I think he's the best receiver out of the bunch. I also think he's the best blocker, which looking at it, he's not the biggest. Um, he's also not the smallest, but he just has really good uh, instincts with blocking. He's, he's really good at it. Um, I mean, how many plays did we see where a guy was coming in and Makai Bernard just lays them out or just ducks at their feet and they go down and Cam Rising has all that more time. I think having him back is really valuable. Um, but like you said, the running back room is going to be crowded next year. Um, Jaquinnon Jackson, Jalen Glover, presumably Chris Curry is going to be coming back. Um, John Randall, who is already with the team, the freshman four-star. Uh, there's just there's a lot of depth in that room. And so I wonder if we maybe see him have a positional change. We know that he's capable of playing other positions. I don't think we see him play defense, but what if we see him like in a slot receiver position? What are your thoughts on that thatch? That those are my exact thoughts when I saw that he was coming back and Kai Whittingham is known to change the positions of his players quite frequently and have success at it. I mean, you see these guys going into the league into positions that they did not play in high school or early in their college careers. And so Makai Bernard, I personally believe, as I think you can agree as well, has the perfect slot receiver build. Like, I think he's got the speed, he's got the quickness. And like you said, he's the best catching running back. And so he has the receiving ability. The Utes are going to be slim on slot receiving next year, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, you'll have Keithy who will you know, own those packages in the slot. Uh, but we also know in terms of like the Jalen Dixon packages, like he could be the new type of guy, like money parks, obviously will play a role with that with his type of speed. But I think Makai Bernard can kind of be the Swiss army knife of the Utah offense. I think you can plug him into a ton of different positions and he can get things done. Obviously I wouldn't want to see him play cornerback again, uh, just because of PTSD from that Rose bowl in 2021. Or 2022. <laughs> yeah. But I, I absolutely agree. I just think he can be that guy for the Utah offense in terms of, you know, switching positions with them. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think in that terms, he can help the offense rather than just kind of, I think if he comes back as just a running back, it just makes things more confusing. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I also think he could maybe carry on some different roles. Like I think punt returning or kick returning is definitely in his wheelhouse and maybe we should be given a look at. I think just sure. he, is, he is such a talented guy. He's good with the ball, great hands. Um, giving him as much time with the ball as possible would be awesome. And just maybe putting him in different positions because it is a crowded running back room. And unfortunately, history suggests that some running backs are probably going to get injured and will probably need him as a running back at some point in the season. So um, it's just great to have versatility and depth, and it creates a lot of different options for your team. Um, speaking of depth though, 
the youth also got Emery Simmons out of Indiana. Thatch, what are your first impressions on him? Emery Simmons is, I think it was a key get for the youths, mainly because of what we've talked about in previous episodes in terms of the need for the wide receiver group to step up this year. Um, I think a lot of analysts around the league and around the country know that, okay, well, Utah's got a lot of returning production. Um, obviously having your returning quarterback coming back and cam rising a defense that was young, but that now has experience and actually did very well being young. Now, basically all of them are coming back. I mean, but Emory Simmons is an experienced offensive wide receiver. And I mean, he had a decent outing in this last season, 37 receptions for 408 yards and a touchdown averaged 11 yards per catch. But I just think having the experience, having him be a senior coming in here is what's going to help this group. Uh, Money Parks is an up and coming wide receiver, but he's young. And I mean, I know you got Devon Vele and some others, but this is the group that needs to increase their level in order to compete, not only for Pac-12 championships, but like the players have said they want to get to the playoff. And I'd say there were there's two big things that are holding them back right now, or that did hold them back these past few seasons. Number one, special teams. Uh, I know usually when you talk about great, the greatest teams of all time, you hardly bring up the special teams. But the fact that we didn't have an awesome kicker or punter these past few years was pretty frustrating. And obviously very frustrating this last year when the kicker situation was so fluid and every week it was a new kicker and both of them could not kick it in the end zone. And so teams are taking advantage of it and starting their drives past the 30 and it cost Utah some games, but luckily Utah got some transfers. They got some pickups and to solve that problem, the wide receivers though, was the other problem in my eyes, because you had a great tight end room. You had a solid running back room, fantastic offensive line, really good quarterback. But what sets the great offenses apart from the rest is they're a, they're able to use the sidelines and you have players and wide receivers that can use those streak routes, go deep. They can grab balls. They can do that kind of thing. Like we saw it at times with Devon Vele, but you needed more depth and right. Like money parks had some great plays and stuff like that. But I think you need guys like Emory Simmons who can prove like, Hey, I've got experience. I can do this. They add depth. And I think that's like a key part of taking this Utah offense to the next level. So those are my thoughts. What do you think about the Emory Simmons pickup for the Utes? Yeah, I I would emphasize everything you said. I thought you made some really good points about just like the sideline play. I I really like that because that is such a big part of like having a really dynamic offense is being able to just use the entire field. Um, some reasons I'm pretty optimistic about him. He has yet to play. He last year where he was a really number kind of big option on his team. He didn't play with a good quarterback. He played with, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this guy's last name, but Connor Basilak or something, um, who was 100th in QBR in the nation. Pretty bad. And it was a bad team. They were 4-8. and eight. All of a sudden, he's going to be thrust into a situation where he's playing competitive teams um, right from the get-go, and he's going to be playing on a competitive team, more importantly. And he's going to have a lot of opportunities to make an instant impact. And that's kind of why I'm excited about him. Um, the guy is a total athlete. That's something that Steve Bartle reported when he first reported, um, the signing and 
I think that's something that the Utes are going to be needing outside, um, especially in that wide receiver position. And so I'm, I'm just really excited about it. I think he does some things that maybe other wide receivers on our team don't do. Um, he's a playmaker. He is able to make some of those big catches. And I don't know, maybe it inspires Cam to make some of those big throws, which quite honestly you need in those big games. You need kind of one or two of those big th- plays every game. Um, and maybe Emmy, Emory Simmons is going to be the guy that makes those big plays. Um, I think that's a high scenario. That's like um, your best case scenario. Worst case, he's just depth. He's ex- depth and experience. And I think he'll still be able to do a lot. And it's honestly just a really good addition. This is the addition we've been preaching. We've been asking for, for the last couple of months. Um, we knew we needed wide receiver help. And I think he's going to fit in really good with his Utah team. Yeah, and I think not only does it unlock this Utah offense as a whole, but where you're speaking to with Cam Rising in specific, I think that's the one part of his game that he's been missing. Uh, We talked about the deep ball last year, and I feel like he kind of showed that a little bit more this year. But his biggest thing was I felt like he missed on a lot of passes towards the sideline, especially on streaking routes. And that's kind of something that I'm, I'm waiting to see as a Cam Rising fan. Can he get this ball, keep the player, you know, in... He's still in route. He doesn't have to stop and you can hit him right on the money. Like that's what I'm waiting for with Cam. And so I think having that extra experience with a guy who knows he's been that number one option for other teams, but now you have a good quarterback like Emory Simmons can have a breakout year and he can help Cam and others have a breakout year as well. So it should be interesting for the football team, but it's basketball season and we're still talking some running Utes. Okay. So they split one and one. Uh, on the road this last week, playing in Corvallis and um, in Eugene. And the game in Corvallis, I think, was one of, if not their best defensive outing of the season. The fact that Oregon State had like 15 points in the first half and that most of their points in the second came when Utah put in all of their deep bench players in the last like eight minutes. And Utah won by 19, having not scored for the last seven and a half minutes of the game, which again, is pretty incredible. But they weren't really shooting it very well overall. Um, they had what was great was their offense was moving re- really well to the point where they had open looks. Uh, the shots were dropping, but because their defense was so elite, uh, it didn't matter. So then when buckets did drop, this, the lead would just keep growing and growing and growing. That kind of fell apart in Eugene. And dude, I, as a fan, like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm frustrated that easily with a lot of things, like because because things happen, right? Games happen. But with the Ducks, like the Utes have only won two games against Oregon, like all time in basketball, which is insane. And for some reason, no matter when Oregon's good or bad, they always have Utah's number. And especially this year when the Ducks were are are going in with like a, you know, a 12 and nine record, having the previous week just lost to Stanford. So Stanford could get its first conference win. I thought, okay, the Utes have to beat them this time. But no, it was the same thing. It was the athleticism, the longevity, uh, the ability to make shots. Um, but the fact that Utah went through scoring droughts, like they still had pretty good defense for the most part, but they went through two 10-minute scoring droughts. Like you can't win games like that. But dude, it was frustrating that Utah couldn't beat Oregon once again. Um, what were your thoughts on the games from last week overall? And how do you think that changes the your view of the Utes moving forward. 
Can we just cancel the Oregon games from now on? I, I, give us the two losses, whatever. We'll we'll figure it out. Well, like can I know we, we just have to be done. Play, <laughs> we have to we have to play everyone at least once. But can we just have Oregon be the one team that we play only one time and have that be a yeah. home game? Like, yeah. Why why is it Arizona State this year? I'd rather play yeah. Arizona State twice than play Oregon twice. Yeah, and like what's crazy is one of the only times that Utah won against Oregon was in 2017. Granted, that Utah team went to the national championship for the NIT. But, like, think about it. You had the great teams from, like, 2014 to 2016 that were all, like, tournament teams, and they could not get it done. Like, that just boggles me. Oregon's always had her numbers. So that was, that was my big thing. Like, I am just so frustrated that we can't beat those guys. It's, it's infuriating. Um, yeah, I mean, that, the Oregon State game, like you said, was awesome. Um, Brandon Carlson has played really good. I think the offense didn't start out great that game and honestly didn't look great like pretty much the entire game, which I thought was kind of a bad signal going into Oregon. But yeah, the defense looked so good. And that's really how they've been winning their games is just really, really good defense. And that's something to hang your hat on. Um, I think playing good defense is a lot more impressive than playing good offense. And maybe be maybe it's a little bit easier considering... Um, just the way college basketball is played, but they should hang their hats on that. It's their defense has been awesome. Um, yeah. Offensively, the Oregon state game, they were fine. Good enough. You know, you did it. Um, the Oregon game that was hor- hor- horrible. Uh, Carlson didn't have a good game. Wooster didn't have a good game. Stefanovic was okay. Stefanovic is like the one guy that can sort of play against Oregon. And even then, like I'm hesitant to say it, well, because um, he's just tucking up threes and banking them the whole time. <laughs> yeah, he he's did making have that nasty up. bake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. For, I'm happy for the dude. Yeah, but, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm, with Madsen going down early in that game, I thought that was really rough, and that might change how things look for the Utes. We don't know how long Madsen is going to be out. It doesn't seem like it's going to be too bad. Not like a season-ending injury, which is good. Um, the good thing is we have our next three games at home, so he's going to be able to rehab. He's going to be able to get right. And, heck, there's even talks of him playing as soon as Thursday. Um, but the hypothetical stance, what does this running nudes team look without look like without Gabe Madsen? Um, I wonder if they put Stefanovic in the starting lineup. I think that would be like the obvious move, and that's probably what most people are thinking. But my counter-argument to that would be Stefanovic has been really good off the bench. Um, he's been very productive and he's taken on a large part of the playmaking that I would almost prefer Boston Holt or Wilkins exact junior to be in the starting lineup with those other guys, because both of those two guys can defend, um, Wilkins exact is able to shoot threes. Definitely not the same way that, uh, Gabe Madsen is able to shoot threes, but he's been quite frankly, our second or third best three point shooter this year. Um, granted he's not doing it on a very high volume. It would just be nice to still have that threat out there. Um, he's not gonna be able to fill the shoes of Gabe Madsen. I don't know if anybody could besides Jordan Clarkson, but he still would be able to be shoot defend and the youths would be able to survive with him out there. Um, I guess another argument is you could have Stefanovic in the lineup, but then I wonder if you go to some more playmaking from the bench. I wonder if you go to Jackson Brenchley or Mike Saunders and, some of either of those guys start to get minutes um the good thing is it's not a super bad injury from what it sounds like he could be playing pretty soon 
and this might not even be a debate. Um, but I would, I'm curious to see what they're going to do against Cal and Stanford this week. Um, Cal and Stanford aren't great teams. We've beat both of them before this season. I think we'll beat them both at home. Um, it'll be a good opportunity to get some of our offense right. And Gabe Madsen is a big part of our offense. He has a lot of gravity. It's interesting watching how teams defend him because they kind of defend him like they defend Steph Curry. Like it's just like a lot of guarding him in the face, being really close to him, not letting him touch the ball. It's really interesting the way they defend Gabe Madsen. And I wonder what the Utes look like without that. Um, are they more dynamic perhaps because they all of a sudden are a five-man team playing and not a four-man team? Or does it look a lot different without the shooting and scoring threat of Gabe Madsen? I don't know. We'll see. Um, but Thatcher, what are your thoughts on kind of Gabe Madsen going down and all those lineup things? Yeah, I think immediately we saw the impact of it when Utah just can't score against Oregon. And the whole time I'm thinking like, man, if Gabe Madsen was in here, maybe he could start some juice and, you know, get the offense going again. I like what you really said about how teams defended him because it's been noted by broadcasters the past, you know, a few or so games because teams are now able to scout out, okay, this guy is a shooter that shoots quick. And the comparison to Steph Curry is, I, I like it a lot because thinking about it, he has really the same type of shooting motion, same type of tendencies. And again, like he's really good from the outside. And so, man, they just guard him like so heavily, but he's still able to get his shots every game. And, you know, he can still be a double digit score. Uh, the point that you made about Stefanovic staying on the bench, I really like. Because in my eyes, I think a lot of people say like, oh, you're not in the starting lineup, you know, you're, you must be a worse player. Like in my eyes, I don't think that's how basketball works. I think you have different units on the floor for different times of the game. For example, like if you put it in like jazz perspectives, okay, we'll go back to the jazz. Like Colin Sexton, when Conley's out, like he can be a starting point guard, but it changes things. Jordan Clarkson, look at, look at what he's doing this year. That's, a, that's an even better example. Look at Jordan Clarkson. He's, he's a starting guard this year. He's played great. Past few years, they were on, he was on a contending team. He was the sixth man. He was still just as good. and But they kept him on that unit because, listen, when your stars are out, you still need to have some some type of shooting volume. So Madsen can be your shooter in the starting lineup, and when Stefanovic comes in, he can kind of fill that role. Now, the problem is when you replace Madsen with Stefanovic, now who you have coming off the bench is not really that shooter anymore. Uh, you talked about, you know, Wilkins Jr. Exact or Boston Holt. Again, really good at defending, but where's that shooting now? So that unit will have a lot of problems on offense. And so that's why I have a hard time when people are like, they make a big fuss about starting lineups in basketball when I don't really see it like that. Like, again, you have different units, but I think those units, they have different qualities. They're, they're better at some things, worse at some things, but together they really try and complete the coach's objective in all standards of the game. So... I agree. I think Stefanovic, if Madsen, and I think they should keep Madsen out of these next two games because I think they're still very winnable for Utah without him. If you keep Madsen out, keep Stefanovic on the bench, and um, I, you know, Wilgins Jr. Exact, Boston Holt, or Luka Tarlach, like those are three guys that I think can very much contribute, get good solid minutes because, again, I know basketball, college basketball changes a lot, but they can be the future of the program, and you can get them some solid and reliable minutes against teams where they can compete and get some really good buckets. So that's really how I want to see the Utes look if they potentially do go without Madsen. But the really big thing for this team that we learned from that Oregon game is if they really want to make it far and win 
against quad one teams, you have to have Matson in your lineup. Like there's just no other way around it. Uh, Matson provides a scoring ability and a way to stretch your offense that no other player on the floor can provide because of the way that they defend him so closely that changes things for your offense. And so you're able to do other things and other players have more open shots, better opportunities. Like the offense is just so stagnant without Gabe. So I think, again, winnable games this week, but overall, just for this year, Madsen has to be on the floor if Utah wants to get a quad one win. Yeah, I... I like how you talked about Gabe Matson and him just being a really big part of the offense. Obviously, we're all aware of the shooting, but there are a lot of other things that Gabe Matson does that I really like. I think he is probably the fastest player on the team. He has like a really good first step and gets into the paint quick. Um, a lot of the time, he'll kind of stop. He'll kind of stop once he gets into the paint. He'll stop in the high post and shoot a mid-range or make an easy pass. I feel like he's really good at that. He's good at breaking down the defense as kind of like a tertiary ball handler. Um, and it's kind of true that Utah's offense kind of rises and falls with his efficiency, with his just overall consistency. And when he's having a game, it just opens things up for everybody else on the team. And when he's a little bit off, then Utah kind of has to get past that hump. But him being able to be a consistent scorer, to just be a big part of the team and breaking down defenses, um, is going to be really big for Utah down the stretch and probably in tournament play as well. Um, Thatcher, should we jump into our draft segment? Oh, we for sure should jump into the draft segment. I think this is going to be a good one. Um, I know the last time we had a, a first pick, it was a few weeks ago. So I think you have the first pick this time. Oh, I would be honored. Um, yeah, so take us away. Who was your number one pick in the DC characters draft for this week's draft segment? I, do do I start playing like the John Williams theme song, or or am I good to just say it, the man in blue, the man of steel, Superman? <laughs> I'm taking him number one. Yeah, that that's the no brainer. That's the no brainer. Um, that's a fantastic theme song, by the way. Shout out John Williams. Um, I got to go with I think the obvious. Um, Second number one option. I'm gonna go with the man in black. I'm going Batman. Ooh, uh, like you just you just have to. If if one guy picks Superman, you got to go Batman. So that's gonna be my number one. That's a that's a brilliant pick. Um, I don't know. I'm not like super super versed with DC guys. I, I'm I not really... either. I'm gonna admit I... when it got down to like the four and five, I had to look some guys up. So, <laughs> and that's all right. That's all right. We we don't judge. Um, if I'm Number two, uh, this is probably more 13-year-old me talking than 22-year-old me, but I think I'm going to take Green Lantern. I really liked the Green Lantern movie back in the day, and uh, I, I like the character. I think it's a cool character, just <laughs> objectively. like he, His limits are his imagination and his willpower. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I uh, no, I, I had Green Lantern. He was in my number two slot, dude. Like, oh, wow. That's not a hot take at all. Maybe your stance on the movie is a hot take now. Um, Absolutely. Watch- it's a horrible take. <laughs> like we, we watched that in the high school and like we laughed the whole time. Um, actually, you guys uh, compared me to the evil guy with the big brain at the end. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Hands, handsome guy. Yeah. Good times. Good times. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, number two pick for me. I'm going to go with 
a guy who has a TV show on the CW, fantastic first few seasons, hard drop off after the next few, and an upcoming film with a sketchy actor. I'm going with The Flash at, at the number two. Ooh. I mean, you got to have a guy that's quick at, at the shooting guard position. I'm I'm going to go with The Flash. I like it. That's a really good pick. Th- those those first couple seasons, they they were pretty decent, and then once you started getting into like the musicals and stuff, it just yeah it dropped like, off hard. And then it truly became a CW show. Like the first few years, I'm like, okay, this is this is adequate. And then I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I think I'm done, dude. It was like with with the Arrow TV show. Those, yeah. those first couple of seasons were actually like objectively good television. Like, yeah, sure is yeah, a were... little bit cheesy and stuff, but it was just like good television. Yeah, hard drop off, man. Shout out CW. Hard hard done. drop off. <laughs> if you were um, to compare number... the CW, wait. If you were if you were to compare the CW to an NBA player, who would it be? Oh, in terms of hard drop offs, uh, you'd have to pick somebody that had like a good first couple of years, like uh, Michael Cade Gilchrist. Okay, that's a good one. Or no, Michael Carter Williams. That's that's who I'm thinking of. Uh, I think he won Rookie of the Year. He had like his first game. He had like almost a triple double on LeBron's Miami Heat. And people were like, oh, this guy is the next LeBron. And then, I don't know, nobody ever talks about Michael Carter-Williams anymore. So, Okay, I like the comparison. Okay, <laughs> take us away with your number three. All right, number three, um, I'm not going to go with a CW character. I'm going to go with Jason Momoa's Aquaman. I mean, it's Ooh. just like the, the Aquaman movie wasn't very good, but he, and he wasn't very good in Justice League either. But in Justice League, the Snyder Cut, I really liked his character. They had like this one scene of him just like, it was like a four minute slow-mo montage of him just walking out of the water. And I might have had a little man crush on him. So I'm taking <laughs> just Jason Momoa's Aquaman number three. You know, breaking news right here. Richie has a crush on Jason Momoa. All right. Um, at the number three, I'm going to go with a big guy. Uh, I'm trying to, I actually, if I get the lineup that I want, I went I went with a really big lineup. At three, I'm going Peacemaker. I actually Ooh. haven't seen the I haven't seen the show yet. So um It's it's funny, man. It's really yeah. funny. <laughs> I got I gotta watch it. I think that's gotta be my next show. Um I'm currently watching Richie's all time favorite show, Breaking Bad. Fantastic stuff. Goat show. Yeah, I'm in season three. Well we gotta talk after the episode. Whoa, like, already? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I've been I've been grinding on this. Um, that's my guy. Uh, yeah, Peacemaker. Again, from what I've seen, he's just a legend. He gets things done. He's got a plan. He sticks to it. And I mean, he's a killer, dude. He's a machine. So that's gonna be my three. I like it. Really good pick. Um, number four, I'm taking Wonder Woman. Uh, the first movie I thought was pretty okay. Second movie was horrible. Worst, worst Christmas was watching that movie with you. Uh, yeah, that was, never again. That was never again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I liked the first one. I think Gal Gadot is just a good-looking character, and <laughs> I, I don't know they 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 did justice with her character. So I'm taking her number four. Uh, listen, you may not be versed well in the DC universe, but it seems like you got some crushes on these actors and actresses. So yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> you know those guys. You may not know their characters, but you definitely know the actors. <laughs> Um, okay. My four, I, I need a guy who can give me pregame speeches, who can inspire the crew. I think this man had some of the best lines in all of the DC universe. 
Uh, I'm going to go with Bane. Um, I mean, he's got some great one-liners you can use for memes, inspirational quotes. I mean, he's got it all. So I'm going to go with Bane at the four. Dude, really, really good pick. Um, If I'm being honest, my fifth pick was also going to be a Christopher Nolan villain. And I'm I'm kind of ashamed of myself for dropping it this low just because of how well the act the performance was played. Um, but yeah, I'm taking Heath Ledger's The Joker at number five. Yeah, and someone had to do it. Some somebody had to do it. We'll we'll see how it, how it works with the whole team as a unit. Might be some moral conflicts, just some principal <laughs> conflicts. You know, it, it probably won't be pretty, but they'll make it work. But I think the Joker would be willing to make a shot that maybe others wouldn't be willing to take. So oh, that's that's true, man. That's true. Think about it that way. I just couldn't have the Joker on my squad because I had, I was pretty sure I was going to get Batman, and so I mean, yeah, that ain't working. Yeah, that that chemistry is going to be off. That's that's going to be like the, the Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. <laughs> okay, at the five spot. Listen again, terrible movie, but man. Do I love this this character? How about Black Adam at the five? Um, set up our hopes for Henry Cavill to come back at the end of that movie, just for it to be dashed like a two weeks later. But well done. Yeah, but hey, he can give my team hope. So <laughs> that's I'm thinking. Listen, that's what I'm saying. I built like a freaking stellar. I look. I got Batman, Peacemaker, Bane, and Black Adam. Like that's a huge lineup. I mean, unless we're talking like Robert Pattinson's Batman. Like I was thinking like. If I had Ben Affleck's Batman, like, dude, I've got like, forget like the Twin Towers out in Minnesota, dude. I got like four guys that could be starting centers at all positions. So, dude, how many how many wrestling guys do you have in there? Because you got John Cena, you got Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Tom Hardy's dude. played a role, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't know if uh, Ezra Miller has some history with uh, other forms of aggression. I guess. Oh, so, oh shoot! Oh shoot! <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not wrestling, uh, but I guess it, again, it depends on the Batman. If I have Robert Pattinson, like I mean, he's he's young, he's lean, he can get things done. I mean, Christian Bale's probably the most average, not average size, but most most balanced type of Batman. Mm, yeah, um, I'm definitely not going with George Clooney's, uh, um, but I don't know Ben Affleck. I mean, again, he's just like a big dude. I don't think he has any wrestling history, but I mean, he's a big guy now. So, yeah, man. Yeah, fair enough. We, we might need yeah. to end before you say anything else controversial like that as yeah. your Miller statement. Yeah. yeah, that's true. We got we got Richie's crush on Aquaman and my, my controversial statements. But <laughs> thank you all for listening to this week's episode of The Thatch Effect. Hope to see you guys soon. We'll see you next week.